Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides therapy for people who are struggling with the herpes stigma. Um, today's guest is Meg, and you're in what part of Canada? I'm in Hamilton, Ontario. Man Hamilton, Ontario, or Mid Hamilton? Okay. Oh, yeah, I messed that up. Yeah, you gave me a whole, like, lesson on Canada's geography yesterday. And I was like, oh, yeah. I only know five places. I thought that I was naming cities. I'm naming I'm naming provinces. And I was like, oh, what's a province? So I appreciate the lesson from you. Um, oh, my pleasure. You also, you also prayed for me yesterday. That was nice. Um, yeah. I'm sick, Aww. not sure what it is. You can hear it in my voice. But, uh I'm really just experiencing body aches right now, and I'm I'm kind of cold. I'm on like day five of whatever this is. Um, I'm getting a COVID test. I thought it would be here today, but I guess it'll be tomorrow. So I won't know if that's what it is until it's probably over with. So sucks for me, but um, I'm glad that we were able to connect. You said that you found me through the um, this podcast will kill you episode that they did on herpes and I'm glad they let me talk for as long as they let me because I had a lot to say about my story and um, I'm glad that you and I were able to connect so when you and I spoke yesterday uh, I got the main thing that I wanted to touch on with you is that you said that you did some traveling and speaking after your diagnosis and you had done it for how long how many years did you say you did it so for five and a half years, you did this traveling and speaking about SCIs and herpes with your uh, church group, and you... Well, yeah, oh. it was actually with a nonprofit. Oh, okay. I was, I was yeah, like, whoa, how did that work? <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. It was with a, with a youth empowerment organization. Okay. So with the youth yeah. empowerment organization, you did this speaking for as long as you did, and... Yeah you realized that you were compounding your trauma because you hadn't dealt with it. Um, Can you tell me more about that? Like, let's start with that and then we'll, we'll just go from there. Like, I'm curious to know because a lot of people, myself included, um, I've been HSV positive for a little over eight years now. And five years into my diagnosis was when I began to discover that there were online communities and support groups. And I started to uh, become active in those. And that's when I began the podcast. And in doing so, like, yeah, this is extreme, but I did what I was doing just for the people who were talking about wanting to in their lives who wanted to yeah. uh, commit suicide as a result of their diagnosis. And I don't, I don't mean to say commit suicide. I think there's a, another way of saying it that escapes yeah, me right now. Take their, take their own life. Take their own lives. Or yeah. die by suicide. Die by suicide. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, I, as I learned more about this, I've figured that, oh, I'm a survivor of suicide because there have been people um, in proximity, not like super duper close who have uh, taken their own lives and, um, people have said, um, it's not threats, but have contemplated or had suicide ideation um, yeah. around me. And so this was something that I didn't realize at the time uh, had hit so close to home. This was something that I learned over time, you know, understanding trauma and our trauma responses to things. And um, it was until recently 
that I began to see, oh, that's really what the connection is. Like, this isn't really, to me, it's not about herpes. It's more so about the the passion that I have and the connection that I have to suicide in itself. So mm-hmm. with that understanding now, I can honestly say that I jumped into this uh, HSV advocacy before I was ready to do so. So when you were having the conversation with me yesterday, um, I, I felt that. And I see it from other people who may jump online and start social media pages, who may start podcasts, who may start blogs um, and get into this before they really know what they're getting themselves into and become such a reliable source of support for people who are at a much worse space than perhaps they are. And they just may not be equipped with the emotional capacity to handle this. So um, I want to know, you know, what was what was your traveling and speaking about STIs like uh just just start there talk about the experience of traveling and speaking and then we'll go into um when you realize that the trauma was compounding yeah so um probably the first the first year uh I was just running off of adrenaline so I I didn't notice I didn't think about it I was I was actually dating somebody like, you know, my husband, I met my husband on tour and he was the drummer of the band that I toured with. Uh, we, it, the whole thing was like, there was a band that played and there were videos and there were public speakers. So I was a public speaker and he was in the band and I would tell my story and I would walk in front of him on stage and tell this story about how I like slept around with a bunch of guys for like my self-worth and then and then I got this diagnosis and this sad moment. And then I realized that my value, like my, uh, what is it? Like, you know, my mistakes are not, um, yeah, they just don't, they don't like, they don't devalue me. Like mistakes are important to, to make and we can learn from them and blah, 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 blah. And how like your self-worth is not attached to the mistakes you make. Like you're not a sum of all your mistakes and, uh, how like, one line that I used to say is, uh, you know, you're valuable just because you're here and you've done nothing to gain or earn your values. There's nothing you can do to lose it. Wow. And yeah, but then like I'm up there talking and saying this and like feeling devalued, (laughs) you know? So yeah. So it started to wear, wear me down. I started having like, um, physical illness. So I, I didn't know this at the time, but like trauma can sometimes uh, manifest in like, you know, body pain, uh, migraine headaches, aches and pains in your legs, um, like lethargy, just being so, so, so tired. Um, there's just a lot that is linked to this trauma, like physical, like somatic things that, that manifest in your body based on trauma you felt like in your emotions and your heart. So it's, it was crazy. And I I didn't know at the time, but, um, it slowly started wearing me down. I got really, really depressed. Um, kids would like, cause I'm in high schools. Right. And I'm like, I was diagnosed with herpes simplex too. And then there'd be like a kid who'd be like, ew, gross. You can't, you can't be ready for that. You can never really be ready for that. No, and no matter how many times, I I mean, I spoke to over, I think I spoke to over 500,000 kids. Like, 
maybe 300,000. I might be exaggerating. 300,000, I think. We did the math one time. I think I think it was 300,000. But whatever. Like, a lot. I've spoken to a lot of, of kids. And it happened a lot. Like, I've been called a slut. I've been, I've been told I'm disgusting. Someone, you know, someone one time was like, oh, what did they say? Oh, it doesn't matter. I don't even need to relive it. It's just like... It was just heckling, you know? I got heckled a lot. And then I would, like, try to get back at them. So I would do this little exercise. <laughs> this is really... This is this is mean. But what I would do is I would, like... So, you know, the, there's a statistic that in Canada... And I don't, I don't know what the statistic is uh, in, in the U.S., but in Canada, it's one in five. So one in five people, or at the time, that was, like, ten years ago, so it might be even higher now, but one in... One in five people has herpes. So I'd be like, one, two, three, four, herpes. And I'd like point to the person who heckled me. <laughs> it's like such a cheeky, sarcastic, mean thing to do. But like, I'm supposed to be the adult. And this is like a teenager in the crowd. And I'm like, herpes. Anyway, so just like every single day, up to three times a day, I'm telling this story. And I'm getting heckled and I'm reliving. So a, a really good motivational speaker or a really good public speaker will connect to the emotions that they felt in the story that they're telling. They'll like reconnect with those emotions. And so every time I would reconnect with emotions of, of receiving my diagnosis, of, of having to tell people, um, you know, I had to tell my ex-boyfriend like, hey, I have a positive uh, diagnosis for herpes, like, you should get tested. And he was like, you didn't get it from me. And I was like, I didn't say I got it from you, but I am saying that I have it. And we had sex. So it stands to reason that you might have it too. And he, like, threatened to pull me out of my house by my hair, beat me up on my front lawn. Like, I would relive those things every time I talked about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm causing myself secondary trauma and and like re-traumatizing myself every day you know for every six day. and a half years for no five and a half but oh, yeah for five and a half yeah, years. About five years yeah and you know it wasn't it wasn't 365 but it was eight months out of every year and it was usually five days a week and sometimes it was up to three times a day i was telling this story from a stage and, you know, having to, having to, like, protect myself and create, like, a, a barrier between me and the judgment. You know, you can feel judgment in a room. You can feel when people start to think differently about you. You know, you walked out on stage the first time, and they didn't think that's what you were going to say. And then suddenly they're like, oh, she's not who I thought she was. And, and like, that judgment came from kids that I spoke to, but also from, like, my own friends and my own community groups, you know, like, the, the places where I found home, I was being judged in those places, too, and so it's, it's like, you know, it's, I don't know if it's the correct term, but it is, like, secondary trauma, it's like, you've got your original trauma, and then, and then you compound it every time, you know, every time you tell somebody, and their reaction is, is, like, not welcoming, yeah, every time, yeah, you share, and someone is, like, Oh, you're not who I thought you were. You know, what I'm finding in your story, it seems like you were alone. And I know that a lot of the people who come to 
the herpes advocacy activism space, whatever we want to call it, they are almost encouraged to or inspired to because someone else has been there. And it just kind of has this continued uh, ripple effect of, oh, I see someone who is openly talking about herpes. I love their confidence. I love their page. I love their color scheme. I love what they're doing. I can do it too. And it seems like you didn't have anyone to look to for that, nor did anyone look to you for that. So this is a very unique situation because you're you're left on your own to learn this, go through it, figure it out. There's no blueprint in front of you of how you're going to navigate this. And how long ago was this? When did you when did you stop? How many years ago? Um, I stopped touring in 2011. Okay. Okay, so yeah, 2011. 2011. Yeah, and from what I understand, the the space, especially on Instagram, wasn't near as active as it is. Like people weren't near as visible who have um, who are living with HSV as they are yeah. now in 2020. And so, mm-hmm. for you having to navigate all of this alone, like that in itself, the isolation is traumatizing. The Absolutely. reinforcement is uh, traumatizing, um, and then the 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 way that you you didn't have support. You just flat out had very few. Let me rephrase that because you did mention um, your pastor. You mentioned um, having spoken to your friend who was initially a poor source of support for you, but yeah, she it, got better. It got better, yeah. So, uh, how is that? How uh, <clears throat> how was uh? Well, oh, go ahead. I mean, I think the way that I coped with it is that um, I didn't expect anybody to support me. And I think the reason I didn't expect anyone to be there for me, so anyone who did was like a bonus, um, was because I just felt like Christians don't have SPFs. Like Christians don't have sex before marriage, so therefore no one can have, you know, a sexually transmitted infection or disease. And I mean, that's so wrong. It's like very errant thinking. Um, but it was like, it's how I felt. So, you know, it wasn't a mystery that I was going to talk about this. Like lots of my friends knew that I was going to talk about, you know, herpes mm-hmm. on a stage in front of hundreds of teenagers. Um, and I, but I did feel really alone. I was the only person I knew. I was the only person who had a positive um, diagnosis. Now, there are some people who may argue that the more you talk about it, the easier it gets, the more therapeutic and healing it is. That wasn't your experience. No. And I think that to those people, I would say... Um, Talking about something to someone who's a good listener is great, but that's not therapy. That's not like a, that's not a plan to, to heal you. That's a sounding board. That's a place to just be yourself and say a thing. And hopefully that person is receptive and welcoming and is not going to pile any judgment on you. It's not going to re-stigmatize you or like stigmatize you or re-traumatize you. Uh, but talking to friends and and talking about it, um, maybe at first it feels good to say it over and over and to get used to it 
like roll it around in your mouth a little bit, get used to the sound of those words, get used to the shape of someone's face when they, t you know, when you tell them and you get used to it and whatever. But <laughs> I didn't just talk to lots of people. Like I talked to hundreds of people at one time. And, and so like that didn't get any easier. That got, well, that's not true. I think, I think what got easier is I learned how to turn off my humanity. I just would be like, blah, blah, blah. I have herpes. You have value. Like, I'm leaving. Bye. You know, like my compassion for them as human beings went in the toilet because I was just like, you don't care about me. I don't care about you. I'm here to tell you a story and I hope you listen. Like, I got really jaded and really sharp. You know, I didn't, I wasn't a welcoming space by the end. That makes and, sense. And like, yeah, like I get why people think like talking about it, it becomes easier. Sure. But I think therapy and counseling is like a plan for your healing. Talking about it with friends is confessional and that's good. That like, you know, when you have a, um, an infected sore, this is going to sound like gross. Hopefully no one quiz me. But you have like an infected sore and then you you get that sore. Um, we, uh, my sister calls it letting. I don't know. Letting a wound. You like let the, the pus out. And then that sore can heal. And like confession is like letting. And that's fine. It's good. There's a place for it. But counseling and therapy is to heal you you know it's to it's to um get at why you were in the position that you were in um that caused like and i like you might not even herpes is not maybe the the worst thing that's ever happened to you right like herpes might be just like the the cherry on top of some, like a pile of shitty shitty things that have happened to you and in my case the reason that i that i felt like i needed therapy at the end i mean i should have been in therapy the moment that i found out like the doctor should be like you have a positive diagnosis here's a business card to a therapist like they should go together <laughs> it should just be like immediate but you know i i felt like i'm ready to be in therapy now because I know that herpes is not what needs to get healed, right? What needs to get healed is the fact that I don't believe that I'm a valuable person. And, and so I run just, around trying to catch my value from other people and places. And your herpes diagnosis just reinforced that messaging that was already there? That's right, yeah. Now, and every time you tell another person, they reinforce that message for you too. Mm -hmm. Your... It's interesting to me that we're talking here about uh, seeing a therapist and going to therapy and how that plays a role in the healing process. You're someone who is your uh, Pentecostal. What what what, well, what do I we want? Say I'm Pentecostal. What? I yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to butcher that, but I ended up doing it anyway. You're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Christian. Okay. Yes, sure. So in religion, we talk about confessions, we talk about prayer, we talk about um, confessing your sins, right? And 
what you're describing, we're talking about the usefulness of therapy. And I think that it's interesting that you're not saying, oh, just talk to your pastor so they can heal you. No, 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 no. You're, okay, your pastor, and like, I can't broad stroke every pastor, but your pastor went to school um, to learn the Bible and to learn how to read in Greek and Hebrew, probably. And they took one class on, um, <laughs> like, I don't know 100%, but what I understand is they took a class on basically like triage, like a family falls apart, a, a pastor can offer six weeks of counseling, and after six weeks, they're supposed to refer you to a, to a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I didn't know about that second part. Well, and I don't think many pastors do it. And I can't speak to that. Like, I'm not a pastor. And my own pastor absolutely refers people. He is like the first one to say, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Let me hear you. I'm here to listen. And here's the name of a therapist who can help. Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's like the first to say it. And, and like, I respect him so much. He's, he's like a really young guy. He doesn't have the experience. And he's just like the first to admit it, you know? He's just like, I can't help you but I know someone who can. And so let me hook you up with that person. And being able to admit that is really powerful and healing in itself. Um, I'll be the first to tell people like I, people come to me for answers. Um, I would say over the course of the last three years, we're in the thousands of people who I've somehow had contact with about their diagnosis and like just looking for something. They're looking for something that, I can give them, but I'm not comfortable with giving them. And it's some form of like validation, escape or um, approval to be able to do something that they know damn well they ain't got no business doing, like not disclosing or not going to the doctor and get tested. And in one of our podcast episodes, I interviewed the widow of a man who um, he had a spider bite that wouldn't heal. And he never went and um, I don't think he, if I remember the story correctly, because this was one of the very first episodes of the podcast that I recorded, but she, long story short, found out that he had HIV. And after going through his journals after he passed away, she found out that the only person he told was their pastor. And the pastor's advice was pray. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was pray. I'm like so angry. And so it mad. wasn't to go to the doctor like this. This was the advice given, you know, and this is a very. What do we want to call it? Like high profile, a very trustworthy source of information where if the pastor would have just said, hey, man, go get treatment and go to the doctor, like not ignore it, act like it isn't there. He went on to live for a while after having told his pastor, but. You know, it was a spider bite that couldn't heal that ultimately ended up taking his life because of this kind of advice. And I think that when people aren't in the position to be able to give advice or give guidance or help people, they need to, at the very least, acknowledge that. Just admit it. That's it. it. I'll listen. I'll listen to anybody. Like, I'll I'll hear you. I'll listen to you. Uh, I'll, you know, but I'm not going to give you information that is going to do further harm to yourself or other people and it's more so about you know doing the right thing for yourself 
Um, I had a conversation with someone actually earlier today who, you know, they asked a lot of questions and I had to just stop them and be like, hey, listen, you're asking a lot of me that's outside of my range of perspective. Listen, if you're positive for herpes or negative for herpes, here's what the next steps are. If you're positive, like now you have this diagnosis, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your partners that you may be putting at risk and don't think so far into the future trying to plan for every scenario that might come up because it may not oh my gosh it may not yeah and also you just ruin yourself by doing that like i got married right and we did not have sex without a condom for like six years dude every time (laughs) like because i was so worried because he's not hsv positive you know, I am. And, and so I was so worried about giving it to him. And yeah, I like, I forget where I was going with this, but <laughs> like, oh, cause we were like, you know, we're always going to wear a condom. So we'll never have kids. Right. How old are you? Oh, wait, how old are your two kids? <laughs> yeah. My son is turning eight and my other son, I have two, two little boys. One is turning eight, one is turning four. So they're Seven and, and three. So you enjoyed doing it so much, you you didn't do it twice, <laughs> at least. <laughs> <laughs> we at least did it two times. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I was so afraid. And, and eventually it took him just being like, I'm not afraid. You know, I'm not afraid. And so if I'm not afraid, then you don't need to protect me all the time. And, like, we use condoms still, like, especially if I'm feeling like, oh, you know, I feel just a little bit off. Like, I think probably we should this time. Um, And I don't want any more babies, so also that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, like, you can't, you'll drive yourself crazy just being like, because, you know, I was like, okay, now I have herpes. I'm never going to have kids. So now we have to talk about adoption. So, like, before we even got married, I was like, are you okay with adoption? Like, we didn't have to have, we didn't have to pull that emotional luggage around. And can yeah. I ask you, can I ask you something? Yeah. So your decision to adopt rather than have, uh, rather than produce children on your own was solely based on the fact that you had herpes? Yeah, because I was reading and I was like, okay, well, first of all, I don't want to give it to my husband. And then I was like, look at all the birth defects. Oh my God. I was like, I could never have a baby. I just thought, you know. Like, why would I subject my child to this? Like, there's no way. So I made a decision without all the information. And then, like, pulled this emotional luggage around with me, constantly being like, I can't have my own kids. And, like, you know, it, it just didn't have to happen. I could have just went to the doctor, had a conversation, been like, tell me more about having kids with herpes. Like, how do you do it? What are the limitations? What do I need to do? And she would have said, hey, lots of people with herpes have babies. For 2,000 years, people have been having babies with herpes, and the kids are fine. Sometimes the kids are not fine. And those are such rare cases that we decided that every mother who is pregnant, who has the positive herpes uh, diagnosis, will be given antibiotics before delivering. Yeah. And Um, that's the solution. Like, come on. I I didn't have to sweat. I want to make sure to note this, that we're not talking about having kids with herpes. Like, no, no, no. herpes is the, <laughs> the other kids parent. Don't have herpes. We're not talking about, like, herpes being the other parent here. We're talking about having, yes. oh uh, my God. reproducing 
while HSV is present in our bodies. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. Uh, well, and also, can I just point out that this is something that a man with a positive HSV um, diagnosis does not need to worry about. This is this is solely a, um, a burden on the women who are HSV positive. And that's another, I think that brings up another point as well, because a lot of the responsibilities uh, are not on us as men, people with penises, because right, people with penises. <laughs> we don't have to worry about, you know, harm being done to uh, the reproductive system or to the, um, the, the, the. If you have a penis, you're not passing a child through it. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Bless. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, is a, it is a burden that that people with vulvas are we have to carry so you know it's it's a very um it's a dynamic of this that not everybody has to deal with yeah and that on a broader perspective or from a broader perspective too it stems to it it goes back to not even you know the conception process but like the the conversations around SCIs like you have to be more on top of things than we do because we're just not we don't have to be there's so yeah. much more complexities around uh women's reproductive health than there is around men for yeah. us like we don't go to the doctor regularly um oftentimes when i speak to men the conversation around scis often doesn't even happen because we're programmed to all right well wear a condom we're fine or even the information right. that we get from medical professionals. If we are positive for HSV, it's often wear a condom, you'll be fine. Uh, if you don't have an outbreak, then you can have sex. You don't have to tell your partners. And this is this type of oh information is just what's circulating around uh, the health space. And this is what well, people are being given. Yeah, and that's exactly how this thing is so prolific. Because... You know, you can be shedding the virus at any point in time. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have an outbreak to be infectious. Yes. And that's and that's also a part of the stigma, right? Yeah. Because you're like, I could infect you at any time. Mm -hmm. People got to understand yeah. that. People got to understand that there is, in fact, always a risk. There are things that we can do to minimize or reduce the risks. But yeah. uh, we, we tend to prioritize our partners needs over our own so for instance i don't take any medication until i have an outbreak or if i feel something is happening and i haven't had an outbreak i had my first one and then i think i had one more around the time that i got fired from a job right oh, so this you. is over the last eight years so oh my gosh that's so amazing regardless if i had partners who were positive or negative i would inform them hey listen there's always going to be a risk whether i take this medication or not so whether it reduces it or it doesn't i, I don't like that's not that i don't feel comfortable with taking the medication and there was a period of time where i would just like take it before i was going to hook up with someone thinking that this was gonna <laughs> yeah like I, I, that's a common thing as well thinking that this was yeah. going to reduce the risk, but um, it, it once the reality hit for me that there was always a risk, there was always a possibility, there was always a chance of passing it on, I think that was really liberating for me. And I think that if we collectively as a people, as you know, people who are living with HSV, if we 
um, recognize our bodies and make the decisions for us. Because a lot of times people will get on daily um, suppressive therapy and then start yeah. getting outbreaks, right? So yeah, well, you're does, doing like, that. Depending on the kind, yeah. it can really mess with like other systems. Yes, and not just that, but it's it's even triggering psychologically. Um, yeah. One of my past partners, she mentioned that taking the medication every day it, it just gave her anxiety because it was a constant reminder in it's her a face. Reminder. Yeah. It's a constant reminder that you have this virus and yeah. you have to take this medication in order to be a little bit more normal, right? And uh-huh. um, another friend of mine, he once he found out he had herpes, he was like, nope, I'm getting on the medication. Never had an outbreak before. So as he starts taking the medication, starts getting outbreaks. So I think that collectively if we can prioritize our own bodies and be able to sit with it and see what it is we have going on over time this is gonna reduce the uh, medication that's being sold and paid for to where we need better options we need better treatment options so for the people who have excruciating pain or often have outbreaks like that obviously that's the exception here but for those of us who are able to manage or who are making decisions solely based on okay i want to just lower the risk of passing this on to my partner so that they feel comfortable i think that we have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for here as far as creating change yeah i think too like you know it would be great if if someone could just come up with a better treatment option like if so many people have it and it's been around for so long, you'd think that there'd be better treatment options. That's what I would think, yeah. You know? Come on. Like, someone make a vaccine for this, for the love of God. Like, nobody should have to go through this. Like, how you know, how old does the virus have to be before it gets a, before it gets a, a vaccine? Like, I think that everyone should listen to that podcast episode of This Podcast Will Kill You. Like, you know, the Aaron's talk about how, like, this virus is so old. It came with us when we, like, you know, when we were like still hanging out with monkeys all the time. <laughs> and that's the thing, like a more accurate statement might be that herpes have humans. Um, jumping back into the time frame that you were speaking, you were touring, sure. and you were talking about mm-hmm. your um, your status and talking to high school students, what was the purpose? Was the purpose uh, like part of a sex ed program that encouraged abstinence, or was it just was it something else? Because that's all I can think of it possibly being. Yeah. So it actually was um, in along the lines of like empowerment. So, like, I wanted to communicate to kids that um, I wanted them to have the power to say yes or the power to say no, and I didn't want it to be dependent on what they believed about themselves. Like, if you believe that you're, you know, less than dirt, then you're going to say yes to whoever shows you any kind of attention, and you're going to say yes to whatever they want, whether it's sex or whether it's, you know, carrying their books or whether it's doing their homework like you you interact with the world differently when you believe something about yourself you know how you interact with the world how you 
interactive people changes. And, and my message, uh, more than anything, was one about, um, about self-worth and just realizing that you are a valuable person because your heart beats within your chest, because you woke up this morning, because your lungs fill with air. Like, you have value because you're here. And that whole idea that, like, you know, like, yeah, we talked about this before a little bit, but, like, this one liner that I just, you know, really, I said it every time, was that, like, you are valuable and you didn't do anything to earn that value, which means you can't do anything to lose it. So even though I I have an STI, I'm still a valuable person. But the funniest thing is that from the stage, I'm saying that to kids and being like, I'm valuable and you are too. But, you know, going home, I'm like, I'm the worst. <laughs> like, what am I doing? You know, like completely, completely hypocritical. Like I didn't, I couldn't carry uh, the, the truth of my message out into my own life. I could really only say, you're valuable, but I couldn't attach it to myself in a, in a true way or in a, like a mm-hmm. know, steadfast way. Um, it's interesting that you also mentioned how the way that I heard it is you experienced compassion fatigue from all of the heckling, from all of the, the meanness yeah. of the kids. And you created yeah. essentially this, or maybe it wasn't created, but it just kind of showed up this persona. Um, because my therapist and I have talked about this robot version of myself. It's very not uh, emotional. It's very logical. It has a job. It's going to do its job and fuck that's anything right. that gets in the way of it doing that job. So yeah. that's kind of what I'm what I was hearing here. And it's very interesting, the the similarities, because I look back on the most recent uh, incident where the robot showed up and I look back at like something that happened long before I got herpes maybe even to the first time that I can recall myself like switching this on like you you called it a switch almost like a kill switch for your emotions right and so yeah. this had been highlighted by your herpes diagnosis it came in and it highlighted this issue of self-worth right mm-hmm. yeah, and absolutely. that's just like an that's that's something that we can begin to recognize with help. Being heard and being listened to may not be the thing that points this out, but having a plan, going over it with someone who is able to speak to these things and support you, um, someone who has experience and education in this, is able to help you recognize and then change the behavior. So my question to you is, with that recog- uh, having recognized that, did you uh, did you go to therapy while you were still touring, or did you decide, nope, I'm done, and now I'm going to therapy? Yeah, it was, uh, actually, you know what it was? I got so burnt out, right? Just like, <laughs> I couldn't care less about these kids at the end. I was like, go do what you want, you snot nose little piece of shit. Like, I was so over it. Like, you know, I had no compassion left for them. And, um, you know, we, we quit. I finished touring. I got home. I got a regular job. And I started to, like, operate more in obscurity. And I could hide the fact that I had this diagnosis. And not everybody needed to hear it all the time. And I got so depressed. <laughs> I like, dive down into this like deep pit of self-pity because I'm like I don't have a purpose anymore and it was like at the point that I got really
So at this and point, actually, you had hit you had hit the bottom. You hit the compassion fatigue. And you were just like, I'm depressed. And then it was a friend that made the suggestion. Yeah, and even then, I didn't listen for a good long time. It took, um, it's so funny. I started therapy because about five couples that my husband and I knew uh, ended their marriages. It was like all within the same year, five couples all just were like, we're not together anymore. Wait, this traumatic you? thing happened. I cheated. This person cheated. These ones cheated together. Like, oh shit. It was bonkers. And so my husband and I, we were like, okay, I knew that I needed to be in therapy. I, my friend had already said, like, this is maybe a good option for you. Um, you know, I, yeah, like it was on the radar, but I, because in Christian circles, we just think that like, pray about it, just pray about it. Look at better. Pray about it. I'll pray for you. Um, so for a long time, I just tried to solve it with like reading my Bible more and praying and whatever, but yeah. though prayer is good and it works, uh, works. It's good for you. Prayer is good, and it's good for you. But uh, when you need therapy, there's nothing that can replace therapy. Yeah. So it there's sounds no like other it, it sounds like uh, the higher power you believe in was using this language that you could understand, which is okay. Here's your priority. Your priority is your relationship. I'm gonna speak through the relationships around you. And that'll be the language that you interpret to go and get the kind of help that you need. And I see a lot of the time uh, when I feel like, you know, the, what I understand to be my higher power, like what I understand God to be, to be, I understood him inviting me. Um, the, I use the language of invitation all the time. I feel like um, God invites me to things. God invites me to conversations. He invites me to change. He invites me. And I'm able and I have permission to say no and not take the invitation. So the first time that the invitation to therapy was offered, I declined. You know, and then it took like all these couples falling apart. And then there was another invitation. Like, hey, maybe preemptively you and you and JP should go and just talk about some things and just see what happens. And then we got into therapy and we started working through our stuff. And then very quickly, I was like, I need to come by myself. Because I have shit to work out. Like, it has nothing to do with him. This is all my stuff. Yeah. And though he can witness it, and though it is sometimes so helpful to have a witness to that, um, I needed to be by myself. So I started going to therapy alone, and I started working through, and hearing my therapist say to me, you were re-traumatized every time a kid yelled at you. And I was like, oh. I guess. And she's like, no, you're not. You're like, just hear me say this. Every time you were heckled, that was re-traumatizing you. And that means something. And I was like, say more. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, know, like, our friends don't have that language. Our <laughs> friends don't have that education. Our <laughs> friends don't have the tools to dole out or to dole out, you know, treatment and to dole out plans for treatment and you know, ways to recognize you're in a cycle and here's, here's where, like, so you have this cycle. Here's where you enter back in. 
like you have you have a cycle that you're going through. It's a circle, round and round and round and round and round. And there's one moment that kicks you out of it, and you can observe the cycle. But yeah. if you don't get kicked out of the cycle, then you just enter back in and you amp back up, and you could do that your whole life. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that I want to I want to drop this in here just for people who may be faith driven or whose faith may be challenged right now. Uh, based on whatever it is that they have going on in their lives. But like we, we, we ask our higher power, we ask God, the universe to give us a sign or do something for us. It doesn't look like the hand of God coming down and picking you up and placing you in a position somewhere. It's oftentimes a gentle whisper in the quietest moments of our lives. So that may be during the suffering where we're just like, I can't take any more. Now what? And then in that moment of silence, it's just like a whisper or a nudge in the right direction. Because for you, you know, you got invited on two different occasions through someone close to you to attend therapy. And then when you finally go, it's like, oh, this is what I've been missing. This is what I've, I'm supposed to be shown because our relationships are like I, I, I view God as uh you know, like gift of the divine, like that's my acronym for God. And so when we begin to explore our gifts, we kind of find our way back home to whatever, you know, the core beliefs are like, it's this scavenger hunt or the ultimate game of hide and go seek, you know, reconnecting with um, whatever higher power you choose to or choose not to believe in. But that's, that's what this sounds like to me. You know, it was through your gift of, you know, connecting to your higher purpose um, and, and speaking and educating, like through that was where you started to get just pummeled <laughs> in a way yeah. and you had to get beat down to the point where you were ready to listen. And then when you were ready to listen, you still didn't hear the message and it had to come to yeah. you a different way. So like for people who are looking for a sign, the sign's always there. Oh my gosh, always. And, and that's the other thing too, like the only, the only time that you can, um, the only time that you're able to notice the invitations that you're receiving, because they're being extended all the time, is when you sit quietly and in stillness. So I, um, as a profession, now I'm, I'm what is called a spiritual director, and it sounds crazy, and it's a misnomer because I don't do very much directing, but I, my job now is to sit with people and to help them notice the invitations that are being offered to them. And one, one uh, image that we use a lot in spiritual direction is the, the idea or the image of a jar, a glass jar full of river water. And it's full of like mud and sticks and rocks and it's all been shaken up. And it's like when you are agitated, when you are constantly moving, when you are ignoring your, your body's clues, you're ignoring your heart's clues, um, you're just moving through, you're plowing through because you're hurt and you don't want to notice. And that's like a river water jar just like shaking up. And then you set it down on the deck and you sit and you watch it settle. And that's what your insides do when you sit in silence and solitude. And when, when all of it settles to the bottom, then you can see through the water see what's there and I think that so I was invited you know I could feel like God inviting me into therapy uh, but then through therapy I was invited into something else which was a study of monasticism and then I was you know uh, invited into something else which was the study of spiritual direction 
and then I was invited this, and it's just one after the other because we're always being offered invitations. We're being offered invitations um, to value ourselves. You know, you have in every instance where you want to like make a joke about yourself or um, make light of a really hard thing or you don't want this person to not like you so you're going to like, you know, um, just like undervalue who you are in that moment. These are all invitations to be like, you know what? No, I am a great person. I'm a valuable person. I'm a loving person. I have something to offer. And the invitation that I hear right now is to be myself because you called it, uh, what did you call it? Uh, G-O-D. What's your acronym? Oh, Gift of Divine. Gift of Divine. So I have in my uh, practice, I guess, is the idea that every person has divinity within them. That there is an imprint of divinity within each person. And every time you choose to acknowledge that identity of divinity, you are being true to yourself, but also in doing so, you are being true to that other person because you're offering them something that you didn't have to offer. You didn't have to offer yourself. And being true to yourself is also an empowering thing for like the people around you. Mm-hmm. It's an invitation. Anyway, I could go on. This is like so when you, we're getting into like my professional practice. Right when now. you getting back on stage? When am I getting back on stage? Yeah, when you gonna start uh talking about STIs to high school kids again? Oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little irrelevant now. I don't know if you can see. I have like lots of gray hair. Kids don't like you when you have gray hair. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I, I've been asked that a couple times. You know, I was telling people that I was going to come and talk to you. Um, and I was telling them, like, you know, go listen to Courtney's podcast. Like, it's really cool. Like, even if you don't have a, you know, a positive diagnosis for anything, this is just, like, good. Like, everyone needs therapy. Everyone needs to understand how intrinsically valuable they are. Everybody needs to know. Um these good things, yeah. you know, and, and they were like, oh my gosh, like, cause you know, all, a lot of these people knew me when I was speaking and they've seen the change that I have, you know, um, gone through. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same, like I am softer. I'm a softer place now than I was before because therapy, because I let, I let, um, trauma and I let my experiences harden me and turn robot like that like just turn it all off and be like you can't hurt me like laugh it up you little butthead like that kind of way of being right and I think that um they were really excited they were like oh this is so exciting like you love speaking and I'm like do I yeah I don't know if I do Uh, but um, I don't know I don't know when if there's ever a time for that well, I mean, this is this was great. I am very much appreciative of you taking the time, especially to go into uh, this particular topic with me because it's it's been on my heart to bring up. Um, it's just never really been appropriate, you know, the way that I have to articulate it versus, you know, having your experience. I think your experience fits perfectly alongside the narrative of uh what we're what we're trying to do here and what we want to encourage people who are considering getting into this space to do which is to take care of themselves first um because you can't you cannot like we used 
the image of like a jar a lot. Um, just the idea that you can't pour out of an empty thing. Like you have to put stuff back in your jar in order to pour out, you know, to be serving other people. You have to serve yourself first. And it's just really important. Exactly. Um, so we have about five minutes left and what I wanted you to do. So like you, um, you, you did this little prayer for me to make me feel good. So perhaps this would be a good space if you have something in you that you would like to pray over the listener here who needs it. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, can I just like, just pray? Yeah, just for the oh. for the person who whose story may be similar to yours or the person who just kind of needs a little kickstart to their faith or the person who might need to just settle into that shaken mud water with sticks and Mm -hmm. mud all in it so that they can see the message for them in the bottle. That river water image is from Ruth Haley Barton. So if anybody wants to know, go find her. She's amazing. Ruth Haley Barton. Um, Yeah, I'm going to, you know what? I'm just going to, like, I'm going to pray some things and I'm just going to, like, let it out. (laughs) I'm going to get crazy over here. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Um, hopefully uh, you are making welcome people who maybe are afraid to even acknowledge that you are with them. Um, spirit of welcome, I pray, Lord, that you would draw these people back to you, um, that they would understand that a diagnosis does not mean they can't follow the God they love that um, positive HSV doesn't mean um, your life is ending, but it could be just beginning. And it could be the thing that makes you realize that you are worth more than um, what the world wants to believe about you. Um, So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to your people, that you would comfort your people, that they would know that they are not alone, that their life is not over, and that there is healing and there is life on the other side. You say uh, in in a story in the Bible, um, you say to a prophet, uh, sit, eat, and rest because the journey is too hard. And so this journey is hard and this journey is long. And I pray that people would sit and rest and eat and gain their strength to walk out this journey, to be brave and bold to um, understand their intrinsic value, to live that out, and to just walk bravely in this world because this world needs you. We want to see you. We want to hear you. We are here for it. So I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for Courtney. Oh my gosh, all the amazing things that he is doing, all the amazing things he is going to do. I pray that you would bless him, that you would seal the work he's doing, and that you would just make your love so incredibly present within him and around him. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you so much. Uh, that was shorter than I thought it was going to be. I was like, ah, I don't know how she going to do it, but <laughs> you managed to make it work. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate you so much, Meg. Again, thank you for the story. Thank you for the, the beautiful prayer. And thank you for your presence and just for reaching out. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave us with before I let you go? Can you can you say that quote again just so I have it at the end here cuz I want to 
the one about self-worth, like you inherently have self-worth. Can you talk louder? For some reason, you're not loud anymore. Nope. No, we're good. It's just weird. I can't hear you as loud as I could before. Oh, that's so strange. Yeah. Uh, now? No, just yell. Okay. So the fact that you woke up Thank you. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast with whoever you think may find it useful. Um, If you want to support our efforts in expanding into more states to get people therapy who are struggling with their herpes diagnosis, you can donate at www.spfpp.org via Venmo, PayPal, or you can become a Patreon subscriber. Um, And if you need other options, feel free to reach out to me directly at Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y at SPFPP.org. And that's just the acronym of something positive for positive people. Um, If donating via money is a little bit much for you, then you can always just leave us a review for the podcast or you can um, just share share it with us, share it with someone or you can, uh, you know, suggest places for us to interview well me because it's just me (laughs) if you want to recommend like podcasts for me to be an interview guest on or if you know people who may want to share their stories they can write in or we can set up a time and date the interview as well so uh that's it for me till next time stay sex positive